Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, I am Sal Bono, and today my guest on Curva Mundial is someone who is known for his pioneer bass playing and massive influence in timeless and legendary bands like Joy Division and New Order. Last year, he and his band The Light brought some much-needed delight to 2020 when they joined Gorillaz with the global smash single Aries. In 2022, he and The Light will hit the road playing the music of New Order and Joy Division. Please welcome to the show, and I'm very, very honored and privileged to say this, my friend, Manchester United supporter, Mr. Peter Hook. <laughs> it's, things are starting to come back to normal for you. You're hitting the stage. Uh, how's it been? How is all of, what's it like getting back to normal for you right now? Well, it, luckily in my job, there, there isn't much of a normal. So, um, but it has been, it was really weird because, you know, the 18 months we had off and all that we went through in those 18 months. And yet the first gig that we did, which was a festival, and it was a week after the lockdown lifted in England, you would have thought that the past 18 months never existed. It was literally like it was all a bad dream, like a nightmare, and we were just back to normal instantaneously. And in it was just as much thrilling uh, as it was frightening. It has to be said, you know, when you've got people running at you and jumping on you after the 18 months we've just had, you're like, wow, you know, it was it was one of them ones. But yeah, I mean, it's it's still very difficult. I, it has to be said here in England, uh, there are a lot of mixed messages and, um, you know, you get very complacent. Uh, I was just out for a walk with my dogs in the village and saw my old friend who, funnily enough, engineered Joy Division in 1978, would you believe? I've known him for that long, this guy. And uh, he was clutching his COVID tests because he'd been in a room with someone yesterday. So the thing is, is that it hasn't gone away. Unfortunately, it's quite random with what happens when you get it. So you do have to be careful. And I think the onus is, is on yourself, isn't it? You know, I mean, I realise that at my age, with my um, asthma, um, that I do have to be very, very careful. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I try and remember, shall we say. But, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was really nice getting back to gigging again. It was nice seeing that, Everybody was still there. Most of people were still there. I know that a lot, a lot of us lost loved ones, which was awful. We we lost a granddad, which was very very sad. So sorry to hear that. You 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 have to sympathise, but life goes on, and we have to make the best of it, don't we? So yeah, we're doing our best, acting normally, running around, um, playing great tunes, and trying to cheer everybody up. So yeah, it's not a bad job, mate. All right, good. Before we get into the football stuff, you lead me into something um, that I wanted to touch upon. Uh, one of your first performances back was with Gorillaz, uh, performing yeah, your, yeah. For, for the NHS workers. What was that like? How, what was it like just to be able to, you know, it, it, David Auburn is such a British staple, you're a British staple, and the NHS, obviously, superheroes. It's a staple, yes, without a, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, do you know what? On the night... Um, there, it was quite emotive, very emotional with it being NHS workers. But Damon, God bless him, he never harps on about it. In fact, if I remember rightly, after watching the gig and playing, he never even mentioned it. We just all got on with it, had a great time. Uh, it was very interesting seeing um, how many of the NHS workers didn't have masks on. Um, so, yeah, there was always that aspect to it. But it was a great crowd. Uh, 25,000 people and um, in, a, in a funny way the next night which was a normal night was, was wasn't as emotive I mean you know looking around at those people and realizing you know it's bad enough for what we went through but for all those people who worked in the health system here in England what they've been through is catastrophic and the effect that it has on you living with that day by day then you know you you can only you can only be in awe 
And the other thing is, is that you can only hope that by prancing about on our little stage and doing our bit for him as we did with Damon. Yeah, it's, it's just a nice way of saying thank you. And I thought it was very big of him to do. And I thought in a funny way, it was actually very big of him to downplay it because he didn't, you know, he didn't go, come on, you know, standing ovation for them all. The, we, he literally just got on with it. And I thought he treated them in a way with a great kind of respect by just acknowledging that we all do what we do the best we can. Wonderful. You know, because musicians like athletes have a peculiar job where they feed off the crowd. And I'm seeing obviously crowds back in the UK, they're back in across Europe, as well as uh, here in the US, fans, you know, attending sporting events, att attending gigs. Have you been back to Old Trafford since uh, lockdown has lifted? <laughs> It's really weird, right? Ever since, you probably won't believe this, but just before lockdown, I have a very good friend of mine, actually, who lives in Atlanta, an English guy, and he has great connections at United. And he got us a, uh, Mick Jack and I, my son, he got us a pair of seats in the director's lounge with Sir Alex, and we were sat next to the Glazers and um, all the reserves. So it is a hell of a seat, right? It really is. Um, I mean, when, when I walked in the room, the room was packed apart from one chair that was empty. And I thought, oh, uh, where are we going to sit down? And we we're looking around and all of a sudden someone went, don't sit there. That's Sir Alex's chair. So this one seat in this private lounge is where Sir Alex seat sits. And if he's not there, the seat is left empty. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. And I mean, and amazingly, it'll probably be like that, you know, when he goes to the big referee in the sky. Um, so yeah, it was quite, it was quite an eye-opener to be. And I was sat next to one of the Glazers um, throughout the match, which was wonderful. And it, 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 I mean, I hate to say it wasn't much of a match. It wasn't much of a match as it happened, uh, but it wasn't a big name team. <clears throat> and uh, I knew that um, the derby was coming up, Manchester City versus Manchester United. And I said to this friend of mine, I said, oh man, if you could get me a ticket for the derby, because I've been trying for years and they are like gold dust. <clears throat> I said, if you can get me a ticket for the derby, I will be so happy. You know, and uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good friend, this guy. He said, I'll, I'll work on it. Anyway, lo and behold, the next few weeks was COVID. COVID, COVID, bloody COVID, everywhere. Everybody was shutting down. <clears throat> I stopped going to the gym. I actually stopped going out. And it, there, there was almost a panic about it because it was the first time. You know, and the, the rumours and the, the information was sounding very, very bad. So in the end, because I've got um, pneumonic scarring on my lungs and I have asthma, I thought, right, that's it. I'm sitting everything out. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here until this blows over. Right, here we are two years later. It's gone nowhere, has it? You know what I mean? So uh, and I'm sat there and literally the next day, my friend phoned me up and said, OK, OK. He said, you'll never guess. And I said, what? He said, I've got your ticket for the Derby on Sunday. And I was like, oh. Oh, and I was like, oh, my God. And my wife just looked at me because of how sanctimonious I'd been, you know, and how, um, how concrete everything had to be now. <laughs> I was like that. And I... Whether I made the right decision or not, I didn't go. Um, so I was absolutely devastated to lose my golden ticket for that moment. Well, uh, just on lockdown. And I've not been back since. And funnily enough, recently, uh, my friend who's now back from America, uh, he went back to um, America just before it locked down, after the derby, funnily enough, um, in January or February, whenever it was. And uh, he's only just come back now over here. So he's been on to me already and threatening to get me a, a ticket for the next derby, which I believe is this week. So I've not heard from him. So I take it it's a no on that one. But yeah, so I mean, I, I flirt with um, United in in every way still i mean the interesting thing was was that i was born 
in a place uh, called Odsall, which is in Salford, which is the neighbor city to Manchester. Uh, and I could see the ground from my house. You know, if I walked to the end of the road and looked across the park, I could see Old Trafford. So from a very, very young age, I've been very, very close to Old Trafford. Uh, I started parking the cars when everybody used to come and park in our neighbourhood because they used to walk then to the match. Uh, I started parking the cars when I was about six or seven, you know, um, getting a couple of pennies to look after people's cars. It's just basically blackmail, isn't it? Because you let the tyres down and scratch the bloody doors if they didn't do it. So, yeah, me and my friends used to park the cars. Um, and we're always in awe of the crowd and the uh, the atmosphere and the the buzz about football. Very from a very very young age, yeah, always. So I was a United fan for that reason because I was so close. And then when I got to about ten years old or eleven, um, I couldn't afford to buy a ticket, sadly. Um, and I used to go into the match at three quarter time because they would open the doors at three quarters time. I don't know, I don't think they do it now. I don't, I don't, well, damn, damn sure they don't let people in at three quarters time. They might open the doors, but they only let people out. Um, there's been many occasions with United where I've actually been at, banging, banging on the doors to get out because they've played so bloody badly. Um, so yeah, uh, from 10 and 11, I was going in at three quarter time and I was going in the Stratford end and yeah, it was an easy, um, easy thing to be a, a United fan for me. It's, so yeah, it was quite interesting. That was one thing that, you know, in our conversations in the past and over the years, was what struck me was that you're a United supporter. And when uh, United in America, the fan base is very much, it's within the last 20 years or so. The mm -hmm. Sir Alec, really the class of 92 on, which, and again, most of my generation, huge United fans, I mean, Beckham's, Giggs, Scholes, like all those big names that have played. Class of 90, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, the class of 92, was it? Class of yes. 92. So yeah. it was, so when I, so here, I've never actually met a Manchester United supporter that was actually from Manchester. My friends <laughs> that live in London hey, are yeah. all United supporters, but they're in, but they're London born and bred. Mate, and, I'm not from Manchester. I'm from no. South. <laughs> oh, and then, so yes, all right, so now, so it struck me that, you know, that you are, because you, Manchester is in your DNA, it is everything that you do, I feel, gives back to that city, and all of your work, and all of your art, and everything that you've created, it's had such a major influence on your work, and the two clubs the city has had, has had this amazing rivalry, but in the 21st century, we've seen an influx of cash come into Manchester City, so what was that like? prior to the, the money coming in? Well, I mean, interestingly for me as a kid, again, and tell me if I'm harking back too much, um, my best friend who lived around the corner from me in Odsall in Salford was a City fan and I was a United fan. So what we decided to do, I remember his name, Ant Nealon, God bless him, I've not seen him for, oh my God, 50 years. Um, we, we used to take it in turns. One weekend we'd go to City and get in at three quarter time. And then the next weekend we'd go to United and get in at three quarter time. So we shared it, which was quite a nice thing to do, actually. It was quite very mature. Um, City was always the poorer team. And we used to call them the noisy neighbours City. Now we call them the noisy rich neighbours. You know, that's, that's become the difference. And City were always the underdog. There were always that attitude. A lot of City fans were, were, we felt, were always desperate to support the underdog. That wonderful feeling when the underdog wins, you know, because United, United always had it, it seemed, easier. Now, I mean, it's interesting, again, just to hark back, because the school that I went to, Salford Grammar School, um, Sir Alex lived next to my school. So we would see him going from his house to the matches, uh, to training, you know, he was a very well-known character then. I mean, this was in 19, oh my God, 67, you know, from 67 to 72, um, I used to go to school almost, and three doors away, 
big house, nice big house was Sir Alex. So we all knew about it because a lot of us were United fans and we all, you know, um, lived for those moments when we saw him. You know, that's how long the history has, has, has gone. Um, as I said to you before, I could never really afford to go. So it was always three quarter time when I went. But yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it, it's odd really, because when I think now, um, when I was 16, <clears throat> I got a job in Manchester Town Hall. Um, and I, I used to see every lunchtime and every evening, I'd see George Best driving about in the centre of town because not only did he have a club there, or 42nd Street, I think, um, he also had a boutique. So his clothes shop, he meant he was there a lot. And I would see him in a variety of, oh my God, jaw-dropping cars. I mean, I saw him once in a V12 E-type Jag the limited edition one that had the three wipers, very, very rare car. And I remember looking at it and thinking, one day I'll have one of them. <laughs> of course, I'd never get an E-type Jag, but uh, I do, I do, I'm very lucky and I, I do have a wonderful sports car that um, I drive around now, hopefully inspiring young kids <clears throat> to do the same as I did when I used to see George Best. So uh, the, the, there was that aspect to it. I mean, it, it's actually thinking about it now, when I was 17, 18, um, I left work for one reason or another and went to work at the holiday camp just for a change because I was bored being a civil servant. When I came back, I didn't last long at, at the holiday camp and I came back, my mother got me a job at the Manchester Ship Canal Company, which is the very famous waterway that runs right through Manchester, from Manchester to Liverpool and was a very, very important commercial supply route in the 70s and 80s <clears throat> so I started work at the Manchester Ship Canal at uh, 18 and I remember the guy saying to me on my first day when he came in and he said Peter this is your desk and this is your seat he said the last person that sat in this seat was George Best right it's, it turned out that in those days in the early 70s if you were a player at United, you had to have a proper job as well. You, it wasn't enough for you to be a player or an apprentice player or anything like that. You had to have a job as well. And George Best's job was the one that I ended up getting <clears throat> at the Manchester Ship Canal Company. Oh my so, God. yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, the, the, you know, the, the, the coincidences and the, the, the proximity, shall we say, to people who work at the club and live for the club has been right through my life. I mean, I, I sort of soldiered on then until I became a punk and then I formed the group. And when the group then opened the Hacienda, of course, all the players would come to the Hacienda. So you, all of a sudden, I mean, it was, it was quite interesting because, you know, with Beckham and Giggs. Uh, I mean, I threw Giggs out of the club one night. For, Wait, what? Yeah, uh, no, I, I, he was, he, it was him, Scholes, Beckham, and um, they were at a party downstairs in the club. And I'd gone uptown and I'd got drunk and I phoned up the doorman at the club because I knew there was a party downstairs. And I said, can I put my car in the, you know, in the, in the dance floor? just while tomorrow and I'll come and pick it up. So the doorman, of course, said, yeah, Pete, bring it down. So he opened the big doors for me and I parked my uh, car, my Mitsubishi Shogun, on the dance floor in the Hacienda. And then I went downstairs for a drink because I knew all the staff. And when I came back up, uh, Ryan Giggs was leaning on my car. And I went, get off there, you bastard. And he just ignored me. So I got the doorman to throw him out. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you own the club and the car that's in it, I get, you know, you have that beautiful like, power. Yeah, oh, yeah. Just, power. Hey, you got to use it. Absolute abuse of power without a shadow of a doubt. And um, I mean, it was funny because in those days, you know, David Beckham would actually let on to me. You know, it was quite weird. All the young players, because they were so desperate to come in the nightclubs, 
would would let on to me. You know, I would be the important one. It was amazing, wonderful times. Of course, it swiftly changed. <laughs> it it <laughs> is amazing, though. Rise. You are in that unique position, though, where you're just as much in awe of the players as they are of you. I mean, David Beckham has come yeah, out then. Yeah, multiple yeah, yeah. times. Like the Stone Roses are his favorite band. He's a huge yeah, yeah. Order fan. Like, he, I mean, like every time when when the Roses reunited and played across America, I think he was at almost every gig. I remember being at Madison Square Garden. And the security, like giving him extra security so he could sit in the audience with the regular common folks like the rest of us to watch the Roses play. And it sort of blew my mind because I forget, you forget that sometimes the players are fans of things too. Yeah, yeah. Forget the musicians are fans of things too. So it's really, it's really amazing to hear all of this. The the oddest thing is, is that when I was about, let me see, I'd be about 30. Uh, I moved to a little village in England called Alderley Edge, which is very famous because supposedly it's where Merlin the wizard buried an army to protect King Arthur. And supposedly if England's ever in dire straits, this army will rise up and rescue England. I don't know, um, obviously they're very hard of hearing because we are in dire straits and they've not appeared. So this village, Alderley Edge, is very famous because all the footballers live here and have lived here for a long time. Now, strangely, even stranger than the George Best story or any of the other ones, I knew Beckham from the Hacienda and he ended up moving next door to the house I'm in now. He lived next door with Victoria in an apartment. And I was doing an interview last week, funnily enough, for a music journalist. And she was telling me that um, she interviewed Beckham years ago. And Beckham said his claim to fame at that interview was that he lived next door to me. (laughs) Can you believe that? Oh, that's fantastic. So I'd see him and Victoria going around the village. And um, there's a petrol station at the top of my road. And my great friend works in the petrol station. And every time I went in for petrol, He'd say to me, oh, okay, okay, come here. Listen to this. He said, guess what Beckham told me? And I'd say, how do you know all this, you know, about United and Beckham? And he'd say, well, he seems to be a bit lonely. So he comes into the petrol station. He gets petrol. He had a Harley F-150, a Harley Davidson uh, branded F-150 truck. And you'd always see it. You know, it was stuck out a mile. And he would go into the petrol station. He'd sit with me mate having a drink, you know, pop um, for like three quarters of an hour, hour and a half, telling him all these stories. And then I'd go in and he would tell me all the stories. You know, it was absolutely unbelievable the way that you rubbed. You know, I mean, I must say that in my, where I live now, uh, I had Edwin van der Sar, was my neighbour across the road um, and opposite. And whenever my alarm went off in the house, this is how nuts this is, I would rush back to the house because the alarm had gone off and the people, you know, the alarm people would phone me. And I'd get there and Edwin van der Sar would be on me drive. And I'd get out of the car and he'd go, it's all right, hooky, everything's safe, no problem, I've been all around. And I'd say, oh, cheers, Edwin. Thanks, mate, you know, and he'd go back to his house. <laughs> wow. Now that's just what you need is a goalie, don't you? Yes, a burglar coming out of your house. You want a goalie to 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 get him. And then um, when Edwin's career finished, um, the house that he kept the house actually. And what happens is, is that every time you get a new United player, he comes and lives in Edwin van der Sar's house. So I see them all the time. <clears throat> I, he, he even Tevez lived there. Oh wow! When Tevez moved from. Um, uh, United, he moved to United, didn't he? Then moved to City. Yes. And he was still in the same house. And I used to see him jogging up and down the road thinking, oh, I could just give him a clip with my wing mirror. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, quite a traitorous um, uh, act. So, yeah, I mean, it is, it's weird being here. You know, Rooney lives up the road. Wow. And even now, I mean, this, we, we're not actually talking much about football here, but we're doing all the characters in football. Last Thursday, when I went to my gym, I, I have a personal trainer who looks after me, who's the bottom of the road, not far from here. It's about 300 yards away. Training next to me was um, Colleen Rooney. Wow. 
So, I mean, you know, they, the, we have, if you like, grown up surrounded in this area, particularly with a lot of United and Cities history. You know, Balotelli set fire to a house up the road, literally a stone's throw from here was the house that he set fire to when he had the indoor fireworks. So, yeah, I mean, the, the history, I mean, it's, it's interesting, really, because the thing is, is that what I've noticed, and I don't know whether this is a good or a bad thing, and there's only Wayne Rooney that's the, the opposite, is, is that the footballers, since social media and camera phones became widespread, their behaviour has gone, if you like, almost underground. What's funny is I was actually going to bring that up. I was actually going to talk about this because what you're explaining, especially when you were a child up until present day, up until, you know, maybe the last 10 years or so, is, is that how community oriented these players were and how ingrained they were to the city that they were playing, even from even foreign from, you know, Balotelli and Tevez, respectively, like they're not from England, but they clearly had a sense of part of that community and piece of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manchester. And now it's like you don't see that at all. Well, you, you see, <laughs> this is going to sound very odd, right? But the, the strip clubs in town, um, I used to know some of the girls that worked in the strip clubs because they worked at the Hacienda as well. And I used to know the bouncers because they worked at the Hacienda as well. So I would be inundated with stories of the football players at the strip clubs, which I suppose in a, in a funny way, maybe they went to them for a little bit of privacy yeah. because they have that aspect that they can respect, can't they, strip clubs. You can do it on in private, if you like. So anyway, so, I mean, I've got a million stories about strip clubs and footballers. Um, I don't have a million yeah. dollars in legal fees to hear all of these <laughs> and vet them properly. So um, we'll, we'll give the illusion there. It's interesting that before social media, Manchester's rock and roll shall we say included the footballers um yeah which is is quite weird so they either they've grown up or they've they've gone underground in the same way that rock and roll has i suppose i don't suppose it's yeah it's a different world isn't it for things like that city manchester city are much more stable and reliable in the way that they play over and over and over again than United are. United are still up and down like a bride's nighter. So really the fans haven't, have now just forgotten about the Glazers and the Americanization because the, the, the club is as bad and as good as ever all the time. You know, it's no different, which is, is quite interesting. And poor old Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who I think is, is castigated much too much considering how much his team, you know, are paid <laughs> to give him all the blame is, is almost ridiculous. Now, I mean, it was, it's again quite interesting when I went training on Tuesday, this Tuesday, uh, I was in and Ronaldo's wife was training next to me. Regina. God bless her. She doesn't speak English. So the translator has to come and train with her. Mm. So you have the two of them training together. So again, you've got this really weird um, closeness, if you like. And my trainer was telling me that nearly every day, Ronaldo comes and picks her up and brings the children with him, which I thought was, was wonderful. It was, it was quite a nice aspect. And my, and my mate said to me, he said, you know, he said, he's actually quite a nice guy. He said he comes in and he has a coffee. And he sits there, lets the kids play around. They've got a coffee shop attached, not a small one, but it's, it's there. And he said he's just really normal and really nice. And yeah, I mean, you know, with, with Ronaldo's reputation, I suppose you, you wouldn't expect such um, his life to be able to be normal, if you like. I mean, right. you know, I, <laughs> the, the, this just goes on and on, mate. Ironically, the same paps, paparazzi, that used to follow us around in the 90s, early 90s, late 90s, end of 88, that was when it all began. Um, I see them in the village and they always let on to me. Hey, Rocky, how are you doing, mate? Not seeing you for ages. And I'm going, who are you? 
stalking out here, mate. And he goes, oh, Ronaldo. He says, Ronaldo lives up there. And he tells me where Ronaldo lives. And um, he, was, he was showing me where his two minders live. He's got two minders that look after him. And they're Italian twins, mm-hmm. these guys. And um, Ronaldo, because they're identical twins, Ronaldo gets one of them to dress lightly in a light suit and one of them to dress in a dark suit so he can tell them apart. And I've seen him in the village. Uh, My mate doesn't work at the petrol station anymore, sadly. (laughs) So I don't get the stories. But I've seen him driving around the village. Oh, man, six, eight times. You know, in the same way that I still see Wayne Rooney driving round and the the park, when I stiffed you yesterday, I was out with the dogs in the park and the the fields that I tech my um, dogs on, walking round in Alderley, the park, I see the young players, the young players who move over here, uh, especially when they're foreign, mm-hmm. uh, they, they, they tend to be looked after quite well. And Great. for some reason, the houses that they live in, when they first come here uh, by this field and they're always playing and I see them in the strip it was really weird because Manchester City did a Hacienda strip oh wow which, which was a nod to the Hacienda they didn't pay us <laughs> they didn't pay us if for there was a way it. to not make money it was through the yeah. Hacienda <laughs> I'm sure it made them a lot of money but they did do a Hacienda based um, strip and um, in the end, it was so blatant that I asked for them to do a charity donation to um, to uh, make me feel okay. Okay. Um, they they very kindly did, which was very nice. Oh, it was a nice little bit of show of respect. And um, they did two sets of clothing. They did one set of clothing, Hacienda inspired, that they sold. Yeah, and the other set was for the players. And I can tell the city players because I see them with these Hacienda branded clothing. <laughs> so I know who the young players are, you see, and my younger friends here. And my son is a mad, mad Manchester United fan. He lives and breeds Manchester United much more ever so than I did. I he want is. to get Jack on one day. I want to talk oh, to him man, he, he is your man, I'm telling you, for United. He, it's actually humbling. <clears throat> how much he knows and how deep into it he, he goes. <clears throat> so I will phone him up and say, oh, there's a guy, you know, um, little kid, looked a bit Italian. He goes, oh, and he tells me the name of the kid because he's just joined, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, it is, it's quite special for me to be as involved as that. And I must admit, as a Manchester musician, both Manny from the Roses and I, Andy Rourke, when he was here before he moved to New York, um, we would all get called in to um, MUTV and be interviewed actually quite regularly, you know, because, because of the players' obsession with Manchester music, playing the Stone Roses as they do, which they still do now, and Love Will Tear Us Apart will regularly get voted and put on the United playlist, also the City playlist. You know, you do get the, um, the wonderful... Uh, benefit of being dragged into Old Trafford, getting a great walk around the pitch, you know, being looked after and being able to go on MUTV and talk a load of bollocks. <laughs> it, it's, it's fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, there are definitely a lot of um, pluses to, to rubbing shoulders with them. For sure. Yeah, and I mean, and it is, it's quite interesting because um, a lot of friends of mine now, a lot of my older friends, they all have seats at United. So really, I gave up my um, season ticket. I had a season ticket for me and Jack for, God, five seasons or something. And I'll, I'll never forget the day um, we were playing Middlesbrough. <clears throat> and United played that badly that the home crowd were booing them. And literally, at three-quarter time, there was about... 5,000 people left in the whole stadium. Their performance was that poor. 
And I said to Jack, you know, because I mean, it's not a, it's not a, um, not a frivolous thing having a football season ticket. It's expensive. Yeah, for sure. You know, the the commitment of doing a match, the time involved, which I'm sure is exactly the same in America for any kind of football match, baseball match, basketball, anything like that. It's it's a it's a big investment in time as well, you know, as well as money. And uh, you couldn't justify it. I was watching them all season, and they were so bad. That I gave up the season ticket. So that must have been about 2005. Oh, wow. Okay. Since then, I've been scabbing. <laughs> it's quite all right. people, You know, and um, for, luckily for me, I've got enough friends, <clears throat> as well as my friend from Atlanta, a lot of friends a little bit nearer to home who will, uh, who will take pity on me. And um, whenever I need to go, will take me to United. Beautiful. I there's one thing though I want to discuss is is that when Joy Division started, I want to go back to the music career for a minute because it's all going to come full circle. Mm-hmm. Now. Joy Division starts, you know, the punk movement's happening, and it, Ian Curtis, if I'm not mistaken, was a City fan from what I've read. Was there ever any friendly banter between you both? Oh, that's an interesting point, that because I read somewhere like you that Ian Curtis was a City fan. But I have to say that I don't remember it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember him being a City fan. Now, in a funny way, I suppose because of what we were doing was so intense, I don't think there was probably much time for us. And we didn't have any money, you see. So, you know, you, you, you have to bear in mind that at that time, Ian was married with a child. He wasn't going to any football matches. And neither were, you know, Barney and I. So the thing is, is that I don't remember ever having a conversation with him. And I don't remember him being a City fan. Oh, I know wow. that Steve, the bastard, um, supported uh, Macclesfield Town, which, um, you know, was, was great for taking the piss out of him, as if we needed anything else to take the piss out of him about. Um, but, yeah, I don't remember Ian being a City fan. Now, interestingly, the myth around that may have come about because Rob Gretton, who was Joy Division's manager, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, was started the Hacienda, he was a mad City fan. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. He lived and breathed Manchester City. And Tony Wilson at mm-hmm. Factory was a United fan. So their banter was insane. Now, Tony had the the look, shall you say, because he was working as a journalist at Granada TV. He was rubbing shoulders with all the team and all the people, and he really relished it, you know. And obviously, because City were uh, very poor at that time, with the inferior ground, the Kipax in Moss Side, um, you know, he really did get a ribbing off Tony Wilson, Rob Graham. So that I remember, but I don't remember and you know what I must do, because uh, I think I've got a copy of it. Have a look at, um, in, in fact, I know, <laughs> here's another name dropper. When I, when I walk the dogs in the park, um, I, I see a friend of mine who's got an allotment, right? And he was Ian Curtis's best man. Oh, wow. He went okay. to school with Ian Curtis from 11 years old. He was the best man at his wedding. And um, it was him that helped Ian's wife actually get through the, you know, the grief of the, of the suicide. Mm. So whenever I see him, when I see him tomorrow, I'm going to ask him about Ian being a City fan and I'll have to come back to you. Please do, please do. Yeah, I'd love to hear that because it is interesting because I saw it, funny enough, on Manchester City's website, they had, because I was just Googling, I said, let me just see what mm-hmm. else in the band or the bands rather. Because that's the thing too, is that most people who want to be rock stars are in a band that maybe we'll get a hit or maybe they don't you're Mm -hmm. in two bands (laughs) that not only changed the course of music forever put your city on the map you know manchester becomes obviously manchester united does phenomenal in the 90s the gallagher brothers you know take over the globe at the same time and also this is not to knock on city at all i as a football loving kid in America, which was a rare thing. 
you never heard of Manchester City before until Oasis arrived. And it was like, oh, wait, yeah, the yeah. two teams? Yeah, yeah. They were the greatest advertisement for them. So now it became this city. I feel like I've walked every street of Manchester without <laughs> ever setting foot in town. So what's it like for you to see the legacy, both musically, artistically, culturally, and footballing, and have that front row seat to it all? Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that, as you know, when you get handed a gift like that, the first thing that happens is you, you take it for granted. So if I was walking down the street, as I told you before, and Ronaldo drives past, I just go, oh, there's Ronaldo. If I go into train, which I am tomorrow morning, and um, then I've got Colleen Rooney and I've got Mrs. Ronaldo training with me, not with me, they're obviously a lot younger than I am, but they're, you know, and it, so I take it all for granted, you know, I'm, ve I'm very lucky. I mean, one of my best friends here um, who lives, he's my neighbour here. He is a, a financial consultant and he looks after all the footballers. Wow. So again, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm in that position where I get to enjoy the fruits, shall we say, of this really close association that's also down to um, being in this village. This it's village yeah. is nuts. I mean, I used to, my, my wife goes to church regularly. Mourinho, my, my wife used to go to church with Mourinho. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and, and Mourinho would always have his trainer with him, ironically. And I always had this wonderful picture of, of what he was praying for. <laughs> Please give me Cristiano back. He was a very, a very serious fellow, wasn't he? Still yeah, is. I mean, now he's at Roma. He's doing pretty decent at Roma. Yeah, yeah. But it is I mean, interesting. He actually seems, in a, in a couple of adverts I've seen, he's actually seen to be taking, um, poking fun at himself, funnily enough. But we used to see him all the time in the village wow. uh, with his trainer. Him, him and his trainer lived together because his trainer came from Roma with him, did he? Um, and yeah, so it's just non-stop, mate. You know, I, I am uh, certainly blessed um, in in that department to have been a fan, and then sort of get to live the other side of it. I mean, there's two where Manchester Airport is, and this is my favourite one. Um, I, I'm a very lucky boy. I've got a Ferrari, <clears throat> right? So look, when I come to Manchester, I wanna <laughs> I wanna hang out. Take I'll take your trip and show you around. Look, let me tell you something. This is not. This is no. This is no bullshit. My wife will back back me up on this. I, I'm I'm a petrified to drive. I don't like driving. Okay. One of my bucket list items is to sit in a Ferrari, just to sit in it. I don't okay. even need to drive it. When you make it, I will take you and I will show you the place near Manchester Airport. There's two tunnels. Right. And the interesting thing about these tunnels is, is that when you're in a sports car and you drop down the gears, they sound fantastic going through these tunnels. Right. So literally most of us around here buy sports cars to go through these two tunnels. Now, the legend right, is, is that when Ronaldo was here first. Right. And the guy was telling me at Ferrari, he said he came in and he bought a four hundred and fifty thousand pound. Ferrari, okay, and he, he he was much younger then. This mm -hmm. is the first time around, right? And the guy was saying, "Are you going to be all right? You know, Mister Ronaldo, with this car. This is a monster motor." And Ronaldo was, "Yeah, yes, he did, he did, he did." Gets in it. He says, "I go training, you know." And he gets in the car, roars off. Two miles down the road, he managed to impale his Ferrari into the wall of this tunnel underneath the airport and wrote it off. Wrote off 400, and the scratches on the wall were there for years. And every time you went through, you go, there's where Ronaldo crashed. And you know what? Insanely, insanely, he's not the only one. You know, he's I'm not the only United player to wrap a Ferrari up onto those tunnels. Look, when we go, when we do our joyride, as long as we don't end up like that, that's totally fine. But well, I, I've, I've, I've heard these stories. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, it is. It's the the folklore of of it here is is so rich. 
you know. And when Beckham moved from being next door to me, he actually moved across the village and ended up next door to Barney. Oh, wow. Barney is across the village. I mean, you wouldn't think that the, considering our feud is as, as vicious as it yeah. is today, as it was 14 years ago when we split the band. It's as vicious today, so I never see him or talk to him, uh, which is incredible because he lives half a mile away. But anyway, Beckham ended up on his side. Um, yeah, I don't think Beckham ever bragged about that. <laughs> um, you see, now, I, I, your time with New Order then blew up, obviously, and you almost stratospheric, meteoric, mm -hmm. those songs are timeless. I'm sure David Beckham was had the greatest speakers blaring every tune imaginable from that yard to you know maybe annoy you or bernie with your own music but <laughs> your career has a footballing legacy because in 1990 new order crafted one of the best songs of any tournament with the ageless world in motion how yeah. did that come about oh my god i mean we've already been on nearly an hour you know <laughs> i'm gonna have to put 50p in the meter i'm gonna tell you this story then i'm gonna go and eat um what happened was quite simple actually Tony Wilson went to a football association dinner in London and he was having a very in-depth conversation with the guy who did the, the PA, mm -hmm. the PR department for the England World Cup team. And they were talking about how poor the uh, football songs were. And uh, this guy was saying, you know, I'm a great music fan. He said, in fact, one of my favourite bands is New Order and they're on your record label, Mr. Wilson. And Tony goes, yes. And he says, and you know what? We would love to get somebody like that to do the song. But they are, the image is so cheesy that we know we never would. And Tony said to him, he said, well, have you, why don't you ask them? And he said, what? He said, why don't you ask New Order through me to do your next World Cup song. And that was how it came about. Amazing. Tony came to us and he said, listen, I was talking to the guy from the FA, he wants you to do the World Cup song. And we went, you are joking. Because we know the history and we knew the image, shall we say. So um, he said, well, why don't you think about it? So we thought about it and like the devil in us, you know, this sort of anarchistic, punk attitude that we've always had it really appealed to us for that and we sat down and thought about it and then uh, we had a track left over that steve and jillian had been started doing for uh, the theme tune for a tv series called making out and we used that as the basis to create this song and then we'd done it and then barney was worried about the lyrics he said, I'm not enough of a football fan to get the vibe. So Tony said, I will help you. I will get you someone who's a mad football fan to help you do the lyrics. And we were like, oh, right. Anyway, brought Keith Allen. Wow. Was a very English actor, comedian, uh, antichrist is the way he ended up being um, described. I think it's destroyed more people's uh, lives and careers than any man I know in the most fascinating and wonderful way. He really is a legend. He is and a wonderful man and so naughty. And um, he came to meet us and we'd already worked with Keith um, in a professional capacity when he got up he got up with a G-string on when we did a coal miners benefit, would you believe, in 1986 or something. And uh, he came on with a studded jock strap um, doing his act, which was great industrial northern gay. Uh, he probably wouldn't get away with it now, but um, yeah, he did. So we knew him from then. You know, he certainly made an impression and he came along and he was such fun and he was so enthusiastic and so inspiring that doing the song became easy. Wow. Now, interestingly, we talked about the song and we wanted, we weren't sure about what would happen. So we decided to do two versions of the song. Um, one was Love's Got the World in Motion, which was gonna be our version. And then We've Got the World in Motion, which would be the World Cup version. 
Uh, as it turned out, we didn't finish our version off. We didn't make it a New Order song. We kept it as the um, football anthem. Um, the rap came about of an idea of Keith's. Keith had an idea to do the rap. Uh, the players actually wrote the second half of the rap, the first half we'd written, um, in the studio. John Barnes wrote it. Um, it was the most surreal thing that I have ever done. No. Doing the England World Cup song was absolutely surreal. Now, I can't say that New Order were getting on very well when we did it, but doing the song certainly helped us get along, funnily enough, because we'd actually just split up um, and Barney had gone off doing um, electronic. Steve and Gillian were doing the other two. I was doing Revenge. And to be honest with you, I never thought we'd come back. Mm -hmm. um, but we had to reconvene to do this song, which was a pleasure. And then, uh, ironically, we ended up reconvening to do um, Republic to save the Hacienda and right. save Factory. Not for the music, not for ourselves. It was literally just to save those two institutions and it didn't work. So, you know, really, World in Motion was the fun part. Um, we were all pretty much up it because of uh, Acid House, Ecstasy and everything else that came with it. So we were pretty much loose, shall we say. Um, very much like the Happy Mondays. And um, they, the team came into that. Uh, and it was absolutely fascinating to do. Uh, we didn't get treated very well by the FA. I never got invited to a match. I never got a ticket. I never even got a football. I never even got a Mars bar that had, you know, the England World Cup team on it and the the most flattering thing was that actually very few of the footballers came to do the song and John Barnes was wonderful when he did it and um, it's been wonderful to see him do it the rap and yeah. over and over and over again he really is a lovely man lovely man and it it's it's quite odd that John Barnes said the greatest thing he said you know he he, he was talking to us afterwards after the the record it was our only number one as well world in motion was our only number one but the benefit i had was that when i was taking my kids to school i'd been in the video for the song and all the kids thought i was in the england world cup team didn't give a shit about new order but the fact that they thought i was in the england world cup team was wonderful for me you know i really milked it it was it was fantastic so it was interesting that afterwards john barnes said that when they used to go to matches with his team, they would always put the song on to wind him up. So if he's, I think it, well, it was, it was Liverpool, wasn't it? He said, so in the Liverpool away coach, he'd, they'd always put World in Motion on. And it was amazing, he said, how many players said that they were on it afterwards, which was the greatest <laughs> compliment of all. None of them would come to do it. But afterwards, they'd all done it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I have, I've got three. So I'm closing every interview with three rapid fire questions. Oh, go on then. Go and, on. and this is it. And then we're done. And I can't thank you enough. Uh, you I welcome. hope also, before I get into those questions, I hope to hear World in Motion on the 2022 tour of Peter Hook and the well, Light. Oh, yeah. You know what? I really enjoyed playing it. And that was a revelation because I said to my son, I said, you know what? Chrono chronologically we've got to play it and i must admit there was a mixed feel in about doing it but my god everybody loved it and of course what we did which was nuts was that every city we played in on the american tour i got one of my friends to come up and do the rap right so every tour had a different friend and oh my god the performances were unbelievable we had two policemen uh, doing it in Minneapolis, two Minneapolis policemen doing it. We had a judge in Detroit, right? We had my friend's son in New York, who was very, very able. He's a musician. He was great at it. So we had a really mixed, every, every night we had someone different doing the rap, which was absolutely fantastic because it gave me the opportunity to sort of embarrass some of my friends. <laughs> I mean, that's what friends are for, right? Definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. 
but you can get it anywhere in the world from ModCup.com. ModCup. Drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. So we'll see. We'll see. Come on. Rapid right. fire. I'm so ready. Here's a rapid fire. If you could bring back one retired player to your club, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Wow. Do you know what? One of the most spirited and difficult players was Roy Keane. And um, if, if, there was, if I was going to bring someone back to shake things up, it'd be Roy Keane, without a doubt. I think they need it. Well, yeah. mm, interesting, interesting. They're, they're an interesting point, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. If your club could sign one player today, one active player, who would it be and why? My God, an active player when we've got Ronaldo is, is quite interesting, isn't it? I suppose you'd have to go for the other Ronaldo, which is Messi. In it. You'd have to go for that one. But I mean, I, I think he could bankrupt United, which would make a change from the Glazers doing it, wouldn't it? Really? So there you go. <laughs> and what has been your favourite moment as a fan? God, my favourite moment as a fan... Uh, do you know, I'll, I'll, this is my last story that I'm going for my team, right? Um, when I, I was going through a rather nasty divorce in 93 and 95, and um, I just started going out again as a single man. Uh, and I was at a do in um, Manchester, some party, and my friend came up to me and he was working for the Manchester Evening News newspaper. And he said to me, he said, okay, okay. He said, come and have your picture took with Sir Alex. And I went, Sir Alex? I said, I said, you're joking. He said, no, no. He said, he's a massive New Order fan. He's a massive Joy Division fan. He's always got the music. He knows all the songs. He says, come and have your picture took with him. And I was like, oh, well, all right. You know, and I was feeling a bit fragile, shall we say, as you are in these occasions. So I went along and God, there was Sir Alex. So I sat down next to him. And this guy was going, come on, Sir Alex, get in, give, get, put, put your arm around Peter, you know, dirty, 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 dirty. And I'm like that going, oh, my God, Sir Alex, obviously, through the history, unbelievable. So I'm sat there. He puts his arm around me, smiles for the camera. And I smile and he took the picture. And then when the, the cameraman moved away, he went, who the fuck are you? It did nothing for my um, mood. <laughs> oh, man. Now, that's the friend you got to bring on and embarrass when, for the rapping. Ooh, yeah, that's I mean, it, you know, it was quite interesting because years later, um, when Tony Wilson was unfortunately very, very ill, um, we, it was, we were doing a resurgence of the World Cup and uh, me and Sir Alex, now get this, were actually stepping in for the engagements that Tony had. So I actually, you know, got over. I, I never mentioned that. I never mentioned that. Um, but we, we actually were working together, you know, trying to get Manchester. I think it was when Manchester did the World Cup bid. Yeah. And um, last story, then I'm definitely going. Tony, just before he got ill for this World Cup bid, had actually talked Beckham into doing the rap. Right. And he said to us, he said, we are going to redo World in Motion. And David Beckham, who was stellar at this point, stellar, 2004 or whatever it was. I can't even remember what year it was now. And we were like, wow, you know, you could not pass up the opportunity to redo World in Motion with Beckham doing the rap. And we were like, yeah, we're all fired up for it. We had the studio booked and everything. And Beckham, we we're trying to, you know, get the diaries together so that we could do it. It was all set, ready to go. And then all of a sudden, Tony phoned us up and he said, we can't do it. He said, there's another World Cup record. And the FA have asked very strongly that we don't do it because they don't want competition. And we were absolutely crestfallen. And then if you do, and I, I encourage any of you, our American listeners, to Google these people and see what our competition was. It was a, a pair of TV presenters called Ant and Deck, who were doing a World Cup song 
and we lost the opportunity to have Beckham doing the rap and re-recording because of them. And if you Google them, you will see how ridiculous that is. And of course, their World Cup song died an absolute death. Uh, very, very sad. That's a sad story to end on. That is a sad story to end on, because this has been the best talk I've had in a very long time. And I've got a ton of these episodes, and I'm not going to tell my other guests that. All right, maybe I will, because they will all hear this. But I cannot thank you enough for... You're welcome, my friend. It was lovely time, to see you, and good luck. And uh, don't forget to wrap up warm. I will not at all. Thank you so much, and I will see you soon, all right? Bye-bye. Thank you, my friend. Bye-bye. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.